Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. But I'm going to continue this morning. We've been looking at the, 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 the overall theme of what, we're, what I'm wanting to minister on is how, would, how do we pray for revival? Because when you get right down to it, we are in desperate need. Our world is it's just wacky. I mean, it's just they're, they're crazy as loons out there, and we're about half crazy in here. Now, you know, maybe you don't want to confess that, but I will admit it. Um, I've been on the crazy train before, and I recognize the symptoms. But part of that is just the times that we live in. I want to start, and I'm going to go through this very quickly, because I want to, I, we've been dealing with the delusions that, that the world is beset with, and we as believers are sometimes attacked with these same delusions, and we need to watch, take them, and not, and I'm, I'm specifically referring to what Paul listed uh, in the second letter to Timothy in, in the first five verses. We need to, to not you know, get on our high horse and say, well, that's describing those worldly people out there. Those same thought patterns that the world walks in and welcomes, we can find ourselves in that same line of thinking. And we need to judge ourselves. Remember, Jesus said, judgment begins at the house of God. So if we will judge ourselves, then we won't stand for judgment. So we need to examine ourselves. But, but basically... In, in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, it says, But know this. This is something Paul said you, you need to be familiar with this. In the last days, and we are in the last days. They started with the resurrection of Jesus. And we're coming up to the very final birth pangs right now. It said, In the last days, perilous times will, will come. That word perilous means stressful, hard to deal with times. And there is a, if, if there is nothing else in this world, you can just look around and say, man, it's just stressful to be alive today. There's stress in every, everywhere you go. Then he tells us why. And I'm, I, I've dealt with most of these or, or some of them. I'm not going to, I'm going to start where I left off a couple of weeks ago. Verse 2, it says, the reason we are in perilous times, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. That's where we ended up last time, which basically went with the dis disobedient to parents. If you want the best example of that, it's my generation. Never trust anybody over 30. Man, that was our saying, you know, that was one of two. The other one was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You talk about a screwed up generation. The baby boomers, we have messed up everything, period. And it, it's on our shoulders. But then the next one says the, 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 these people in these last days are unthankful. It basically, that word there means that we, we refuse to give credit to people that have come before us. It's, everything has to be brand new. People, I, and, and you will see this I, I've in dealing with, with kids for, for years in the classroom. You, you realize that, that um, with kids, anything that happened before they were born, they're just totally ignorant of it. 
And they've, they've got all these brand new discoveries and they discover these things and run into them and they think, nobody in the world has ever thought of this before. This is brand new. And you go back and it's, it's been generations after generations after generations have made that same discovery. But, but in these last days, we've got people that just don't care about anything that was learned by past generations. They've thrown, they're throwing out all of the wisdom because that's just, you know, to, to use the flavor of the month, that's just old dead white men. And if, it doesn't, if, if that's where it comes from, we don't want any part of it because everything has to be brand new. Well, that's not a real good attitude. We owe everything that we are to past generations. And we don't need to try to reinvent the wheel every other week. The old wheel works just as good. And it says they are also unholy. This isn't just talking about people that, that live lives that, that aren't honoring to God. This was best described in Romans 1.32. Paul went through this whole list in, in the first chapter of Romans of people and how people unrighteous people live. And he summed it up. In verse 32, he's talking about these people knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Basically, this, what Paul's describing here in, in, in 2 Timothy is people who say, I'm going to live any way I want to. If it feels good, do it. If it feels really good, do it twice, maybe three times. You know, I mean, and if you think about it, we have this same thought pattern. How many times have you, you know, you get a pain somewhere and you go to the cabinet and you get out a pain pill and you look at it and you think, it says take one. But you know, if one's good, two will be better. And I'm really hurting, so maybe I need to take three. You take that, 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 that thought far enough, you'll end up killing yourself with something that could have relieved your pain. It, it, it's, it's taking things, not only taking sin to the extreme, but it's encouraging others to come join me. This is a fun ride. You know, perfect example, if you're old enough to remember him, uh, Timothy Leary, back in the 60s, the guru of LSD. Um, and I, I forgot exactly how he, how he phrased it now. It was tune in, no, turn on, tune in, drop out. And basically, he just promoted the drug culture. We, you know, drugs are good. And he's talking about illicit drugs. Um, and the more you want to do, the better you'll be. No. The, the, the next one Paul says here is they're unloving. This, is, this word is usually reserved for family love. It's talking about phileo, brotherly love, how you love your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, people that are close to you, and it's got the negative alpha in front of it. It's people that, that basically um, where you see this the most is they, they want to attack the family unit. We don't need families. This is, you will see this in, 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 in governments at times where they want to break down the family because if, if it's the family that, that opposes their control. This is where, and in, in, in I, I'm, I'm, I was an educator for almost 30 years. But they will tell you the, the, the answer to all the world's problems is education. So we need to start educating our kids as toddlers. We need them in school at two, three years old. 
Their motivation is not to get them educated. Their, their motivation is to start the indoctrination early. You realize in some of our school systems, they're starting sex education, and I'm not talking about, you know, the, the, the basic birds and bees, mommies and daddies get together and, and have children. We're talking about graphic sex manuals with first and second graders. Why are they doing that? They want to break these kids' morals down from the beginning and indoctrinate them into this lifestyle. It's evil. We need to make sure that we don't look at that and just have a passive mind and think, you know, we need to be harmless as doves but wise as serpents. We need to be able to look and, and, and discern what, what is going on. The next one is unforgiving. This one you see in politics a lot right now. I, I look back, and politics has always been a rough-and-tumble game. All you got to do is go back and, and, and look at uh, Will Rogers. Before him, look at uh, Mark Twain. Mark Twain made a lot of political commentaries, and they both basically had the same opinion of politicians. If you bomb Washington, D.C., you've probably done the world a favor. That was their attitude towards politicians. And... It, so it, this is not something brand new with our generation, but I'm telling you the, 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 um, the viciousness of it is something that's new. It, I don't know that it's ever been quite to the... It, it's not that your, uh, that your political opponent or even a philosophical oppo opponent is, is wrong. They're evil. You don't agree with me, you're evil. You've got evil motives. You're inspired by the devil. That's one that we can fall over into pretty quickly. We can get this us and them. Well, we got the revelation, brother. Yeah, maybe not. What's your attitude like towards the people that disagree with you? What's your attitude like towards the people that are out there in the midst of that sin? You know, uh, uh, Jude talks about dragging people out of sin, despising even the, 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 the thought of having to touch their filthy garments. I don't know about you, but I've, I've had some nasty jobs in my, you know, the, I, I think it's Mike Rowe has a program on one of the self-help channels, Dirty Jobs. And he just goes and looks for jobs that just, you got to get nasty, dirty, filthy to do these, this work. And there are people out there that will do that. But I've had a few of those jobs, and it's not fun. But you know what? You, 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 if, if it's a necessary function that you have to do, you do it. But you don't, you don't live there. You don't, you don't choose that as a lifestyle. And there are, but, but we have to be willing to get down in the goop and the muck and the mire of the sin to pull people out. And you can't be afraid, oh, it's going to get on me. Look at the example that Jesus lived. When G Every leper that Jesus ever met, the law was you don't touch a leper. Why? Because it's contagious. It's a skin disease. And if you touch them, you can get that leprosy on you. And there's no cure back then. It's a death sentence. A slow, painful, horrible way to die. Jesus was never once afraid of leprosy. He grabbed lepers constantly lay hands on them and heal them why because he knew his righteousness was greater than their their sin and leprosy is a type of sin it represents what sin will do it will slowly eat you alive and <clears throat> we can't be afraid to to come in contact with sinners 
because we might fall into their, their sin. No, you listen to the Holy Spirit. He'll never put you someplace where, where you, of course, you, anytime you get around people that are sinning, the, the, the enemy will bring that as a temptation. You just know that going in. But you also have to understand that the power of God in you, if he led you there, his power is greater than that sin. But you can't have this attitude that, you know, we're, we're, we're just too good to do this. And then the next one is they are slanderers. This is literally the Greek word diabolos is where we get the word for devil. In the book of Revelation, John uses this, Revelation 12, 10. He says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. The, the word there, accuser, is the word diabolos. That when it talks about slanders, it's talking about taking on the nature of the devil, accusing people, slandering people. You need to be careful what you say about other people. Even if it's factually correct, what business do you have talking about it? This is, a, this is one where, my, you know, my father had a couple of commandments that he added to the ten. Because that wasn't, you know, God didn't have enough with the ten. His 11th, I, I really embrace now. The 11th is, thou shalt not shave on thy day off. Which, that one, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. But his 12th one was, shut thy mouth. And I'm telling you, that one applies more and more and more. Sometimes you just need to shut up. I'm glad my grandkids are not here because they would rebuke me. Again, Paul, you don't say shut up. Sometimes you have to say that to yourself. Sometimes I just have to look myself in the mirror and say, you just need to shut your mouth, John. Quit talking because all you're doing is rehearsing the problem. All you're doing is, is, is slandering and talking the problem. Just shut up until you can start talking the answer. Get the word. Find the word on, on whatever you're dealing with. If, it's, if you're dealing with another person, walk in forgiveness. Why do I have to walk in forgiveness? Because you're a Christian. You've got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You're supposed to, you are supposed to imitate Him. It's what Paul said in Ephesians. Imitate me as, as dear children. Just like kids will, will, will imitate their parents and, their, and, and people around them. We need to look at Jesus and say, I'm going to live just like Him. Imitate Him. Well, that's what He did, hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Believe me, that was not a, an easy thing to do. Again, he says, without self-control. Basically, that one means I'm, I have lower base desires. You know, the, the, if it feels good, do it. If it feels real good, do it twice. Same thing. Good helping of mashed potatoes. And I live on a, on a, a, a carb-free diet. So if I have a temptation with food, mashed potatoes is one. And even more than that, mac and cheese. Good mac and cheese. Oh, mercy. I smell that. My body just says, yeah, yeah, go, go. Not one helping. If you have one, you need two. If you have two, you need three. Have an extra one because it tastes good. I know you're not hungry, but remember how good that tastes? Get that cheese. It's kind of stringy, and that mac macaroni's just perfectly al dente. And, oh, 
No self-control. That is what he's talking about here. But, but they will take it in, in every one of your baser urges. It, they're going back a minute ago to, to Romans 132. They not only say, well, and, and this, is, this is what they will claim. Well, this is how God made me. God made me this way. If he didn't want me to have these desires, why did he met, create me this way? Well, the truth is he did not create you this way. He created you perfect, but those base urges come from that sin nature that, that came with the fall of Satan. And because Adam fell, he's passed along those urges that we need to resist. And we can only resist them through the power of the Word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but in, in our day, you have huge portions of population that say, you don't need to resist anything. Just go with it. It's okay. No, it's not. No, it is not. The, the, the next one is particularly nasty. They're brutal. Now this one, and I, I, I don't want to get graphic here, but I feel like I need to. You want a great example of this? Think of an abortionist. It was just, the, I, I forget the guy's name, there was a guy in California that, that did undercover videos of abortion clinics, and they sued him. And they're coming after him, which was a big mistake on their part. Because he gets to put these people on the stand under oath, and, and if they're caught lying, they're going to jail for, for uh, perjury. And he, it, it has come out that there are abortion doctors that will take um, uh, babies that they're aborting, and they will cause them to be born alive so they can extract their hearts while they are still beating, put them in a jar of nutrients so they will stay beating, oxygenate them, and then ship them to a facility where they can study an unborn baby's living, beating heart. You can't do that unless you're manifesting that trait right there, brutal. No one with half a heart and I mean a literal, not just a literal heart, but ha you, you have to be beyond feelings to dissect a child and remove their beating heart and watch them die. I, I'll be honest with you. I know God says we need to pray for sinners. That one, I have a hard time praying for people like that. I want to pray God kill them and put them in the lower parts of hell. But Jesus died for those people too. And if they will recognize it, he can change their hearts and change their ways. But until they do, they are just simply brutal. Despisers of good. Think of modern art. It wasn't too many years ago we had the, the great artistic masterpiece called Piss Christ. Guy took a jar, put an upside-down crucifix, and filled it with his own urine. And people from everywhere came to see this great art. To show you how, how, how crazy these people are, I, I just read this not too long ago. It was a guy, and he was having fun, but he was in a modern art museum displaying modern art. And he had a hat on, like a, a not a, um, um, well, just a normal hat. And he took his hat off, and he dropped it on the floor, and then he stood back and put his arms behind and he kind of stared at it. He walked around a little bit, and he stared at it again. And then he walked around a little more, and he stared at it again. And before long, he drew a crowd. And all these people are walking around his hat, 
murmuring to themselves, what a tremendous work of art this is. The guy just put his hat on the floor. And these people are, are just going beside themselves. Oh, I can just feel the energy coming off this. And after he'd had a good laugh to himself, he just reached down, picked his hat up, put it on his head, and walked out. And the problem is most of the people probably never even recognized how foolish they were. There is a, the, the, the Museum of Modern Art. I think this is in Los Angeles. They, have a, uh, they built a new building, and one of their... Well, they have two masterpieces out. One is about a five-ton boulder that no one has done anything. They just set it there, and that's one of their masterpieces. The other one is they have a dog. I'm talking 20 feet high. Model of an anatomically correct dog standing next to the building with his hind leg hiked and, and about every five minutes, a stream of yellow water comes streaming out from under the dog and hits the side of the building. And this is their, this is their depiction of great art. These are despisers of good. These are people that just, if it's shocking, it's good art. And it's, it's just debased, totally. Traitors means people that have no loyalty to anyone other than themselves. That you, you, you see everywhere. Headstrong, this is a person who is so passionate about things, they just, whatever they get in their, in their mind, they're going to go run. They run to it, and they run for all they're worth. It, it, it's, it's kind of the, the attitude is, I may not know exactly where I'm going, but I'm going hard. I'm going fast. I'm dedicated to the trip. They just don't know where they're headed. Haughty, basically that's just, they think, they think themselves great. The haughty people are the ones that walk in the room and their first thought is, yeah, I'm definitely the smartest guy in this room. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. For one thing, let's, let's define smart. I, 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 just, I challenge you to figure out a real definition of that word because let's face it you pick an area we, there are all all of us have areas where we our ignorance is is legendary there are places we know stuff and there most of the places we don't know a thing about what's going on i had I, um, oh it was um <laughs> this past week the the um, gym was cold because Fall decided to leave and winter set in. And we have two brand new air conditioners and furnaces over there. So I called the company that installed them and I thought, we got four furnaces. One of them's putting out heat and it's not, it's not, it's like 58 degrees in there. Well, I'm walking with the technician and I'm asking, what, what could possibly, these are brand new, what could possibly be wrong? He said, well, I don't know. We just need to go check them. He said, and he started asking me questions. I said, whoa, you can take everything I know about a furnace, put it in a thimble, and have 99% of the, of the space left. I know nothing about them other than you set the thermostat, and it, it either comes on or it doesn't. And this one, it doesn't. Well, I, I, even I could have figured this one out because he pulled the panel off, and I looked down there right next, because I do know where the gas uh, valve is and what those look like and right next to the gas valve there was an on off switch and it was in off like hard for your furnace to work if you don't turn it on hit the on switch and 
it popped up, and next thing we know, we got heat. Haughty people, no. They know everything about everything, and they got an opinion about everything. We don't need to be that way. And then the, the last two, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There are a lot of things that, that, that are fun to do, a lot of recreational activities, uh, but some of them, you know, I, I'll tell you one of the, the ones that I, I remember, I had a, an acquaintance, I wouldn't say he was a friend, but an acquaintance years ago, he had always wanted a boat, a speedboat, uh, something he could fish off of, but something he could take his kids skiing. And so he set himself to believe God that God would, would get him a boat. And he believed and believed and saved, and finally he got his boat. And you know what the next thing was? You didn't see him at church for the next six months. Because that boat that God gave him, he spent his time every weekend on the lake and forgot about church. That's taking one of God's blessings. Now, did God bless him with the boat? I don't know. Could have. But he took it and loved pleasure rather than loved God. He made the boat higher than, than his worship time. Be careful about putting things before your time with God. And then the last one, having a form of godliness but denying its power. These are people, and, and there is one, there's a psychologist that, that, that's going around the world, and he's helping a lot of people with just practical, everyday uh, advice. But he will tell you, he, has, um, he, he teaches at the University of Toronto, and he has all of his lectures have been online for years. And he does a whole big section on, on the Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis. And he goes through all the stories, and he will relate those stories. And I've listened to some of them, and he's got some real insight. But he will tell you at the end of the day that all those stories are meta-narratives. Basically, it means it's a good story that represents a part of human life. But it's not an God-inspired story. It's not, it's, it's, not a, it's not God putting out something to help us direct our lives. This is just a collection of man's wisdom. <clears throat> he has a form of godliness, some good advice to run your life by in, in, in certain areas, but he denies the fact that God can change you from the inside out. That the, the truth of the gospel is we need the, the Old Testament stories. They, they, can, they can instruct us in a lot of things, to do and not to do. But what you need even more than, than the Old Testament stories is the power of God on the inside of you to take you from being a goat to a sheep, to take you from being a sinner to a saint, that you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit that created the entire universe is speaking to you and saying, I need you to go this way today and not this way. I, you just had that thought, that thought you need to take captive and replace it with this thought. I made you better than this. That's the, the power of God, is the power of God to change us. Because we need help. Let me tell you, if you think you don't, there you, there, there's, there's your first hint right there that you're on the wrong track. Because the best of humanity is still desperately in need of God. And we will be until the day we, our heart quits beating and He takes us home. Amen? Now, we've got all those things that we want to avoid. And I've spent a couple of weeks on what to avoid. 
Where are we going? How do we actually pray for revival? Well, I, I introduced this once, and I'm going to introduce it real quickly again, and then I want to try to get to at least one point, a new point. How do we pray for revival? The best way, the best example I have seen, and it's the one that God led me to, is in Acts 4, verse 29 and 30. In Acts 4, Peter and John had, had healed the lame man by the name of Jesus. They got pulled in before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin recognized these are Jesus' disciples, and we can't have them out there doing miracles. They'll start drawing people to, to this new sect of the Jews that believe in that Jesus was the Messiah. So they pull them up, they threaten them, and they tell them, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, yeah, we have a choice between obeying God and obeying you. We're going with God, which is always a good, smart, smart move. If your flesh says go your way and God says go this way, you know, it's like the Old Testament. Joshua said, um, I put before you this day life and death. Choose life. It's a pretty, pretty simple test. Here's, here's your, two, your two possible answers, A and B. A's right. Well, if you put down B, it's just kind of, you know, it's not real smart. <clears throat> These guys then, after they come back to their own people, they, 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 they look at them. And in verse 29, this is the, the church's response. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. He said, God, the powers that be are threatening us if we go out and preach in the name of Jesus. Give us boldness to do just that. And not only give us boldness to preach His word, but when we do preach His word, you said, and, and they didn't have the Gospel of Mark now, but we have it. You said in the Gospel of Mark that when we go out and preach the word, that you will confirm that word with signs following. That's what we want you to do. We want, to take, we want you to take your word, and you should stretch out your hand to heal people and do signs and wonders so that people will know the name of Jesus still works. Now, the question we've got is, why don't we see signs and wonders and healings today? Maybe we're not preaching the Word. Or we're preaching the Word, but not preaching it as strong as they preached it. Maybe we need to get a little more bold than less bold. Because I'll tell you, uh, 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 Mark said, we will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I've talked to a lot of Christians over the years that say, yeah, I'd like to do that, but what if I lay hands on them and they don't recover? Well, if you're going to call God a liar, just, just quit now. Why worry about it? If he said it, we need to obey it, do our part, and then watch him pray and ask him, Lord, you do your part. Now, this doesn't mean that, that, that you know, we get to just be rash and, you know, you, you go in and, and you loudly do things. You have to use wisdom, and you have to be led of the Spirit. But when God says, do this, be bold about it. Don't hesitate. Lay your hands on people and tell them, God is healing you right now. And I want you to watch in the next few hours, the next few days, this is going to drop off. It's going to disappear. Because Jesus said it would. Not because I'm anything, 
But I am his hands. I am his mouth because he lives on the inside of me. And, and get, get bold about who Jesus is on the inside of us. Now, I want to hit this one little thing here, and we're going to be done. If you look at the birth of the church, Acts chapter 1, I think it was in verse 4, Jesus told the disciples, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Just go wait. Go sit. Well, if you read on and you look at what the church did, what the disciples did, they went to Jerusalem and they had a meeting and they elected the, the, the 12th disciple to replace Judas. Not exactly going and waiting. What, what God had in mind was Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31. This is Isaiah prophesying what, what happens when you wait on the Lord. Even the youths shall fail and be weary, or faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord, people that, that refuse to wait on the Lord, you will, you will do things in your natural strength, and you will wear out, and you will collapse. Because you cannot do what God has called you to do in man's strength. You can go a little ways. You can work pretty hard. You can, you can get some things accomplished. But you, don't, you are not equipped for the long haul. But if you wait on the Lord, if you go before Him, and, and, and part of this waiting is you just go before Him. Hebrews said, come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and help uh, in your time of need. When you come before the throne and you just park yourself and say, Lord, I'm not quite sure what I need to do. And I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to go through your word and I'm going to listen to your voice. And I'm not moving until you tell me where to go and what to do. If you're sincere in that, God will direct your steps. He will give you illumination. Start here. Do this. And when you do that, when you are following His path, suddenly he, he anoints you to do what He's called you to do. Because now you're not doing, doing it in yourself. You're do, you are being His feet, His hands, His voice. And He will back you up. This is like when, you know, I always get amused when uh, <clears throat> people, and you can see this on YouTube, you see it on the cop shows all the time um, on TV. Policemen command somebody to do something. And you look them right square in the face and say no. And I think, wow, how dumb do you have to be? They may not be big. They may not be tough. It may be a five-foot-two woman wearing that badge. But there's a whole lot more that she can call on. You may hop in your car and run, but they've got radios. They'll call ahead. They will swarm you, and eventually they will take you down. Some big old guy will jump on you and squash you down in the, in, in the dirt and pull your hands behind your back and put handcuffs on you and drag you to jail and not be gentle about it. Well, when, when God says, go do this, if you are doing it in His strength, you've got backup. You've got angels. 
I've, I've loved, I've listened to missionaries tell stories. Uh, one particular guy told the story. He was, he was in Africa, and he went into a new tribe, and I had something similar happen to a friend of mine. He was, he was a missionary to the, um, the Choco Indians in the Darien jungle in Panama. And you get deep enough in the Darien jungle, um, you're, you're talking about uh, Stone Age people. They wear loincloths, and there's enough trade now. They'll have a, a metal axe but, um, or a hatchet. But they, it wasn't too many years ago. They were just dealing with stone implements. And, and this one guy, in, in the case of the African missionary, the witch doctor realized he was losing his power. So he decided to get, get, bring up some guys, and they were going to go kill this guy in the middle of the night. And the guy heard a bunch of people gathering outside his hut, and he got up and he stood in the doorway. And he looked and he thought, Lord, I may be coming to see you here real soon. If, if this is it, then receive me. And the guy started to advance, and then they backed off. And the crowd dispersed, and they all went away. And he went in went to bed. And the next day, he asked one of the other people in the, in the, the, the crowd or in the, the village, he said, why did they leave? Because I thought they were intent to come get me. And the guy said, oh, they were. He said, but when you stepped up in that door, they saw two other guys on either side of you. And they were big. And they had swords in their hands. God just opened those people's eyes and let them see the angels that were there to protect him. He was there in God's, by God's direction, and God backed him up, and they didn't harm him. In fact, the witch doctor was one of the first to come and say, I want to serve the God that you serve, because you've got some big servants that follow you. God will back you up when you are waiting on him and then doing what he called you to do. Now, if we look at this, and I'm going to go through this really quickly. Look at the, 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 the birth of the church, or at least the birth of the church in power. It's in, in um, Acts chapter 2. The, the first four verses, God, Jesus had told them, go and sit and wait. And what happened? They sat and they wait until the Holy Spirit fell. If you don't move until God moves, you'll always do things right. Don't get in a hurry. Just wait on the Lord. And then... then <clears throat> After the Holy Spirit moved on them in, in Acts uh, 2, 14 through 21, what was the first thing that Peter did? Peter went to the prophet Joel. He preached the word. He didn't preach about Jesus. He went to the Old Testament and he was in, in a group of Jews. He said, this is what Joel prophesied. He went to the written word of God that he had at that time. And then later in, in verse 22 through 35, uh, uh, Peter again went to the word and he quoted from the Psalms and showed how David was not the fulfillment of those Psalms, but Jesus was. His first authority was not the activity around them. It wasn't the tongues and people hearing, because there were two miracles. There were people talking and speaking in languages that, that they had never learned, and there were people hearing their native language from people that weren't speaking their native language. There were, it was a double miracle. 
Peter did not talk about that. He went to the Word, the written Word, and established it by the written Word. This is exactly what what, uh, Paul told Timothy. 2 Timothy 20, verse 7. We always, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Not 20 chapters in Timothy. Um, We always take this as as instruction to ministers, but it's not instructions to ministers. It's instructions to people, to Christians. Preach the Word. If you're going to proclaim something, let it be the Scriptures. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, be ready when it's convenient. Be ready when it's not convenient. But what needs to come up out of you is what Jesus said. And then he said, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. That's exactly what the disciples did. They preached the Word. They started the church on that day of Pentecost by preaching Joel and preaching out of the Psalms, and 3,000 people were added to the church the very first day. Now that's a church growth program. Amen? That's what he's called us to do. Wait on Him. Pray for revival. We need to go to Acts 4 and say, Lord, you did this for that church. You did this for the first century church. Do it for us. Give us boldness to preach and then back up what we preach when we're preaching the Word. And then watch watch God work. But then when, when we do preach, we have to make sure we're in the Word. We're preaching what God says to preach. And then it's not, I don't have responsibility for doing it. It's his responsibility to back up what he said. Amen? Because I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't have the goods to get the job done. No way. Jesus does. The Holy Spirit does. He created everything we're standing on. He created our bodies. He created our spirits. He created it all. He made us. He's equipped us. And we just need to walk before Him. Say, Lord, what direction? Who do I talk to today? And then pray for boldness. Pray for boldness for yourself. Pray for boldness for others. Pray for boldness as a body. Pray for boldness, not just our, our church body, but the body of Christ as a whole. You know, Indianapolis has a huge violence problem. People are getting shot day and night and dying all over the city. We need to pray for boldness for every church, for the churches down in these war zones, to start preaching the Word. Start getting out and telling people, you don't have to stay hooked to these drugs. You don't have to, you're you're not enslaved to this lifestyle of selling drugs. You don't need a gun to protect you. Come in and let the Holy Spirit take up residence in you, and you won't need any of that. Then you can face a real challenge. Try to walk according to the Word. It takes courage. It takes a lot of courage to walk as a Christian. Amen? But you've got the God of the universe that's willing to come on the inside of you and show you how. So while it's a challenge, it's also doable. It's really easy. Just wait on Him. Listen to His voice. He said, you're my sheep. You will hear my voice. Just practice that. Learn. Practice, as Brother Lawrence said in that wonderful little book of his, practice the presence of God. Just learn to see God in everything you do. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.